Well, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to stand to your feet. I'm going to do this for all. Just everybody stand up. And I want you to turn to your neighbor and say two things. Number one, wake up. All right? All right. Now, listen, listen. This is serious. This is serious. Turn to your neighbor, and I want you to say this. Don't waste your life. Okay, you can be seated. And by the way, while you're being seated today is a very, very special day. Um, where is my brother Richard? Where are you, Richard? Where is Richard? Richard, is Richard in? Richard, where are you? Come on, Richard, stand up. Come up, come up here, everybody. So you stand right up right there. Today is my brother's birthday. And I want you to give him a hand and wish him a happy birthday. Would you do that? All right, brother. And by the way, today is also my grandson, Connor's birthday. So it is really, and today is Riley Lester's birthday, who is our student pastor. Is it anybody else's birthday? We just raise your hand. Let's get this out of the way. Okay. It is a great day, and I'm so glad that you're here. I want to welcome those who are watching us online, those who are watching by TV, those at our Mill Creek campus. If I could give one piece of advice to every human being that's born as they begin their life, and I knew they would take it, it'd be easy. I'd tell them in four words, don't waste your life. Pastor John Piper told two stories in his church. They're about two different couples of people. The first story was about two ladies. One lady was named Ruby Elias, and the other lady was named uh, Laura Edwards. They were both over 80 years old. Ruby was a nurse, and Laura was a medical doctor. Ruby never married. She was single all of her life. She had given her entire life to one thing. She wanted to make Jesus Christ known among the sick and the poor, in the hardest and the most unreached places in a place called Cameroon. Well, Laura, when she retired, joined Ruby. And she would go with her from village to village in this tiny country, sharing the gospel of Jesus. So you've got these two little ladies. They're both over 80 years of age. One's a nurse, one's a retired doctor. And they're giving their life going from unknown village to unknown village, just simply sharing the love and the gospel of Jesus. And on their way to one of these villages... The brakes gave way in the car that they were driving. They went over a cliff, and they were both instantly killed. John Piper looked at his congregation, and he asked this question. Is this a tragedy? You can imagine, most of the people, of course, nodded. Oh, what a tragedy. But then John Piper shared the other story. He found it in a Reader's Digest. I'll read it to you. Bob and Penny took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect seashells. John Piper paused and said, now that is a tragedy. Laura and Ruby died. They stand before God. God says, so what did you do with your life? They reply, we sowed the goodness of seeds of goodness and grace in the lives of others. We served people when they needed to be served. We shared the love of God. Bob and Penny die one day. They stand before God. God says to them, what did you do with your life? And they say, um, look at our seashell collection. And Look at our perfect softball swing 
And oh, by the way, how do you like our boat? That is a tragedy. Now, here's the point of the story. There's nothing wrong with retirement. There's nothing wrong with having nice things. There's nothing wrong with enjoying life. But here's the point. Don't center your life on that stuff. Don't center your life on that, those things or those activities. We ought to devote every moment we have and we're healthy enough to sowing and sending and serving and sharing. Piper's mantra, don't waste your life, could have also been the catchphrase of the Apostle Paul. As a matter of fact, he gave the same advice to a church in a place called Galatia. It's in Asia Minor as we know it today. And it was the same advice he gave them as he was closing out a letter to them. And we're in the book of Galatians. You know, we're studying the book of Galatians. And if you brought your little booklet, we're on page 18 if you want to look on with me. Or if you don't have one of these little booklets and you, you can get one after the service is over, uh, look in your iPad or your smartphone, whatever you have. We're in Galatians chapter 6. We've been in a series we've been calling Free at Last. And if, you've been not, if this is your first time and you don't know what we're talking about, what we've basically been saying is this. Real freedom is not when you get to a point in life where you can do whatever you want to do. Real freedom is when you give your life to doing what God wants you to do. So keep in mind the words that you're about to read in just a moment. They were written by a man who was in prison many times. He was beaten. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked. He was robbed on several occasions. He often went without food or shelter, and he wound up having his head chopped off. And he endured all of that for one simple reason. He was determined not to waste his life. And he gives some tremendous advice that will help us live a worthwhile life, not a wasted life. The older you get, the more you realize several things about life. Life's very short. Life is very fragile. It can be over just like that. And before you know it, your life is done. And knowing that, it just makes sense that all of us should look in the mirror and say, you know what? I don't want to waste my life. How do you make sure that you live a life that when you come to the end, you will say, I didn't live a wasted life. I lived a worthwhile life. I got the best return on my investment. God got the best return on his investment he possibly could. Well, he gives this church three tremendous pieces of advice. Number one, don't be deceived. You will reap what you sow. Don't be deceived. You will reap what you sow. Now, Paul begins with an analogy that everybody back in that day would have understood because it was an agrarian agricultural society. The number one uh, um, uh, e economic productivity back in that day, the number one work back in that day was farming. So he begins by saying this. He says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Now, Paul just gives us the way the world works. He gives us the way life works. If you live long enough, you know that's an absolutely true statement. You always reap what you sow, what you sow, you reap. It's a universal law. It's true in every single area of your life. For example, we know it's true in the material area of life. You sow a little, you're going to reap a little. You sow a lot, you reap a lot. Everybody knows that. If you sow seeds, you're going to grow a harvest, but no seed, there'll be no harvest. You reap 
what you sow. In other words, for every action, there is a reaction. You reap what you sow. That's true in the material area of life. That is true in the moral area of life. When Paul talks about sowing here, he's referring to your conduct, to the way you live. When he refers to reaping, he's talking about the consequences of your conduct. So for example, some of you learned this the hard way, some of us have. If you sow wild oats, you're not gonna reap strawberries. You're gonna reap exactly what you sow. As a matter of fact, there's a Bible verse that says, some of you will remember it, if you sow the wind, you'll reap the whirlwind. That's right, you sow the wind, you reap the whirlwind. Let me give you a great example of that. We live it every day. If you, wanna, if you, if you, if you even have any doubts that you reap what you sow, just think about the racial problem we have in our country. Sadly, at the very beginning of our nation, what did we do? We sowed the seeds of slavery into our culture, into our life, and what have we reaped? Racism, racial animosity, racial division, racial distrust, racial tension. And of all things, we shouldn't be shocked. Why? You reap what you sow. That's why Paul begins by saying, don't be deceived. Now, why would Paul say that? Because Paul knew what I know and what you know. It's good advice because many people are deceived. There are people everywhere in this world, you live it, they live in your neighborhood, you work with them, maybe you went to school with them, and they absolutely believe and think they can lie, they can cheat, they can steal, they can even kill without any consequences because they really believe they could get away with it. People never ever commit a crime thinking to themselves, I think I'll use this to get into prison. I think I'll use this to get the death penalty. No, the reason why they do it is because deep down they're convinced, I believe I can get away with it. Now, there's a simple reason that Paul gives to let us know that nobody ever gets away with it. Nobody ever has gotten away with it. Nobody ever will get away, ever will get away with it. You say, how do you know that's true? How do you know people don't get away with it? It's because of what Paul says next. He says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. Now that word mocked is a very interesting word. In fact, it's the only time it's used in the entire New Testament. And it literally comes from a root word that means nose. And it literally means to thumb your nose at someone. And what Paul is saying is, you can't thumb your nose at God. There's a God in heaven. He makes sure that one thing is always going to happen. You will reap what you sow. There's an old saying you've heard probably before. You can fool all of the people some of the time. You can fool some of the people all of the time. But you can't fool God any of the time. God says, mark it down. You will reap what you sow. God has put a law into the universe that never fails. You will always reap what you sow. Now, one pre reason people don't believe this law and they think they can beat it is because they don't realize that you often reap later than you sow. See, there are people who think, well, you know, I got away with it today. Maybe I'll get away with it tomorrow. And so tomorrow comes and there's no police call. There's no police knocking on their door. They think, huh, I got away with, it, get away, away with it yesterday. I got away with it today. Maybe I can get away with it tomorrow. As a matter of fact, the wisest man who ever lived, a man named Solomon, made this observation. He said, when the sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out, people's hearts are filled with schemes to do wrong. 
In other words, what Solomon said was, and this is why, by the way, our father said we ought to have quick and speedy trials. What Paul said was, the longer a person goes without being punished for what he's done, the longer a person goes and there's no consequences to his actions, the more he's filled with ideas that, hey, I think I can do this and get away with it. And look, let's be honest. We all know people out there right now, they're living all kinds of lifestyles that are wrong, they're wicked, they're ungodly, and yet you look on the outside and you say, well, they, they seem to be emotionally happy, they seem to be psychologically stable, they seem to be physically healthy, and in many cases, they're extremely wealthy. So you do kind of wonder to yourself, well, do people get away with them? I mean, after all, pastor, what about this thing about what goes around comes around? Well, it does. What goes around does come around. It just doesn't always come around immediately. See, when Paul says you reap what you sow, he's not giving a timeline. He's giving a truth. He doesn't tell us when we will reap. He simply tells us we will reap. I read this story the other day. It's a, 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 I love this story. There were two men. They were farmers. So it's a good illustration for this verse. They, owned, they both owned farms that were side by side. One man was a very devoted Christian, loved the Lord, went to church, you know, dotted the I's, crossed the T's. The other guy was a very secular, materialistic atheist. He hated the idea of God, didn't want anything to do with God. And even though they were friends, he was always mocking the Christian, making fun of the Christian. Just, he just didn't understand. Why do you believe in someone that doesn't even exist? So one day they were talking and he said, hey, I got an idea. He said, why don't we plant our crops this spring? He said, let's, let's have an agreement. We're gonna plant the same number of acres we're gonna plant the same amount of seed. He said that I want you to pray to God, and while you're praying to God, I'm going to curse God. Then he said, when October comes, let's see who has the bigger crop. So the, the Christian trying to amuse the guy said, okay, that's fine. So they planted the same number of acres, they planted the same amount of seed. Sure enough, October came, and guess who had the bigger crop? The atheist. He had a bigger crop, he had a bigger harvest. So he walked over to the, to, to the man's house when he found out what the figures looked like. He walked over to, the, to this friend's house. He said, you see, you idiot, you fool. He said, what do you have to say for your God now? And the man just smiled and said, my God doesn't settle all of his accounts in October. You reap what you sow. You may reap later than you sow, but you reap what you sow. But you know what? You reap more than you sow. You remember this well-worn saying that's so true? If you sow a thought, you reap an act. You sow an act, you reap a habit. You sow a habit, you reap a character. You sow a character, you reap a destiny. But all begins with the seed of one thought. One thought. One thought can determine your character. One thought can determine your destiny. And Paul points out this law is not just true materially. It's not just true morally. It is true spiritually. So Paul applies this to a spiritual part of our life. Listen to what he says. So he says, whoever sows to please their flesh, that is your sinful nature, your selfish nature, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Now you talk about reaping more than you sow. Here's what Paul said. If you reject God's way of life, if you reject God's will for your life, 
If you reject God's son, Jesus, and you don't accept him as your Lord and Savior, you don't just reap 30 days in jail. You don't just reap a $500 fine. He said, you reap destruction. And that word refers to an eternal separation from God. But he said, when you receive Jesus, when you follow God's will for your life, when you reproduce the life that God wants you to reproduce, you don't just get a gold watch or a plaque. You get eternal life. That's why every decision you make in life is so important because every decision is a seed. And if you sow the seeds of good decisions, you're going to reap good things. If you sow the seeds of bad decisions, you're going to reap bad things. By the way, that's true both positively and negatively. Let me let you know a little secret. The way to get what you need from other people is to give other people what they need. The way you get what you need from other people is to give other people what they need. So, would you like to have more friends? You say, yeah, I really would. Then sow the seed of friendship. Would you like to be loved? Yep, well then sow the seed of love in the lives of other people. You want people to be kind to you? You sow the seed of kindness to them. Author Stephen Covey, who wrote The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, he put it perfectly when he said this. Did you ever consider how ridiculous it would be to try to cram on a farm? To forget to plant in spring or play all summer and then cram in the fall to bring in the harvest? He said, the farm is a natural system. The price must be paid and the process followed. You always reap what you sow. There is no shortcut. Amen and amen. Don't be deceived, Paul said. You reap what you sow. You want to make your life count? Don't fool yourself and don't try to fool God. Don't be deceived. Whatever you reap, you'll sow. If you sow good financial decisions, you'll have a good financial harvest. You sow bad financial decisions, you'll sow a bad financial harvest. You sow bad marital seeds, you're going to have a bad marriage. You sow good marital seeds, you're going to have a good marriage. You reap what you sow. Don't waste your life. And then he gives a second piece of advice. Don't be discouraged. You will be rewarded when you serve. Don't be discouraged. You will be rewarded when you serve. Now, Paul gives us a great word of encouragement that has to be true because the law of the harvest is never broken. There are some laws you can break. There are some laws you can't. For example, if you jump off the Empire State Building, you don't break the law of gravity, you demonstrate the law of gravity, right? There's some laws you don't break. You don't break the law of a harvest. You reap what you sow in a bad way, but in a good way. So Paul says this, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Now, Paul is talking about sowing the seed of service, of spending your life doing good for, for, for other people. And I just want to kind of get personal here for a moment because what Paul does, at least for me, he identifies the greatest problem in ministry. And I'm really glad to talk about this because he's talking about my life. So let me just kind of help you a, a, a little bit uh, in where pastors are and ministers are. For those of you who think that, man, you got a cushiony job, you know, you got it easy. Man, I wish I could just do what you do. You just kind of show up and preach for 34, 40 minutes. Man, you just get to go play golf the rest of the week, right? Well, anytime you want to follow my schedule, glad to have you do it. But let, me, let me just give you a little clue. Yeah, I take vacation. I'm about to take some vacation. But can I give you, can I just let you know a little secret? 
I'm never on vacation. If, I have, if, if we have a tragedy hit this church, I'm going to be here. If something bad happens to my flock, I'm going to be here. If somebody needs me at 3 o'clock in the morning, I don't say, excuse me, it's 3 o'clock in the morning. I'm not your pastor right now. You never quit being a pastor. You never quit being a minister. And I'm not saying that to complain. It's just true. And I'm telling you, ministry is tiring. Ministry is frustrating. Ministry is discouraging. I went to my office just a while ago just to write two handwritten notes of thanks for some, something people had done for me. And there was a letter there. Callie had said, hey, you need to respond to this letter. It was from a pastor up in Ohio. And he'd written me a two-page handwritten letter. You know what it was? It was about 30,000 questions. What I, how do you learn to preach? How do you learn to lead? How do you learn to handle cantankerous people? How do you get, how do you get all these great illustrations? You know, what do you do when you get discouraged? I mean, just reading the letter, I just wanted to go jump, jump out the window. I mean, it just, it never ends. It, it, I mean, really, it never ends. And, and, and I'm saying that to say, you know, it's just easy to get tired. Now, understand, Adrian Rogers was right. He said it well. Adrian said, I never get tired of the work, but I get tired in the work. And I'm just telling you, that's true about me. Do I ever get tired of preaching? No. Do I ever get tired of answering email? No. Do I ever get tired of trying to help pastors? Do I ever get tired of trying to help people put their marriages back together? Do I ever get tired of sharing the gospel? Do I ever get tired of returning phone calls? Do I ever get tired of calling a man who's dying of cancer I talked to yesterday, let him know I'm praying for him? No, I never get tired of doing that, but I get tired in doing that. Because I'm going to be honest with you. I'm at the stage today where the last thing I'm going to do next week and the one thing I don't want to do, I just don't want to prepare another sermon. It's not that I don't like to preach. It's not that I don't like the word. I just need a break. And so Paul says, look, don't become weary in doing good. Never forget there is a light at the end of the tunnel. However, you've got to get to the end of the tunnel. If you quit in the middle of the tunnel, you'll never see the light. So I'm saying that to say this. One of the tests of spiritual maturity you want, to know, you want to know how spiritually mature you really are? You'll know how spiritually mature you really are if you're willing to keep walking in the dark even when you don't see the light. Even when you're willing to continue to stand when you want to sit. Even when you're willing to stay when you want to leave. Even when you're willing to re-enlist when you want to quit. And we've all been there. Some of you may be there right now, and that will only happen if you believe one thing. Listen to what Paul says. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest. It's not that you might reap a harvest. It's not even that you may reap a harvest. It's not that you could reap a harvest. It's not even that you should reap a harvest. Paul says, don't be weary in doing good. For at the proper time, you will reap a harvest. Someone once wrote these words. It's not easy to apologize, to be unselfish, to take advice, to admit error, to be charitable, to keep on trying, to be considerate, to endure failure, to profit by mistakes, to forgive and forget to make the best of little, to subdue an unruly temper, to shoulder a deserved blame, to recognize the silver lining, to stay the course. But it always pays. Try it. It always pays. Try it. Paul said, 
you will reap, listen, at the proper time. Literally says, in its own time. Do you know when you'll always reap your harvest? Listen to your pastor today. Do you know when you'll always reap your harvest? When the time is right, you'll reap a harvest. You'll reap a harvest, and the harvest, by the way, it doesn't come on your clock. It comes on God's clock. What matters is not your time, but God's timing. You see, with God, the harvest is never early, and the harvest is never late. It's always right on time. That's what I want you to understand. The law of the harvest is not meant to discourage us. It is meant to encourage us. There's a return on the investment of serving. So keep serving, keep doing good, keep working for God because you will reap. But then he says this, there's this little if in there and it's a big if. He says, if we do not give up. You know what Paul literally said there? It literally says, if you do not lose heart. I have watched pastors crash and burn. You know why? There was nothing wrong with them morally. There was nothing wrong with them in in the way they handled their marriage, the way they handled their money, the way they conducted themselves. But I've seen so many pastors crash and burn. You know why? Because they didn't see immediate results. They didn't realize that Rome wasn't built in a day. Flowers don't blossom in a moment. You've got to keep sowing. You've got to keep working. And they absolutely just quit. So I'm going to be very, very blunt. Paul says you'll reap a harvest and it will be a good harvest if you don't throw in the towel and quit. So let me just give some of you some practical advice. You can make your marriage work if you don't give up. You can be a good parent. And give your children your best if you don't give up. You can follow Jesus, serve God, be a blessing to others till the day you die if you don't give up. I was listening to read the other day. I, I'm, I'm a, I love to read about words and, and where words come from. I, you know, I, I read the Greek New Testament every day. And I, I was just to learn this. It's a little bit trivial. It's not even in my notes. It just came to me. So it's, I'm, I'm always multitasking while I'm preaching. So uh, this word came to me. Do you know, you, you, know what the, you know what the word hippopotamus comes from? This is so interesting to me. It really, no, it, it is. The word hippo in the Greek language is horse. And the word potamus in the Greek language, it comes from the Greek word, it means river. You know what a, a hippopotamus is? It's a river horse. Isn't that interesting? I thought it was interesting anyway, okay? Don't look bored. Look like you're excited, all right? So my, my point is, I love to, to read about words. Well, the other day, I read about the word mediocre. You know, you, weren't, you know what, mediocre, right? You know, it's just, it's just kind of average. It's kind of run of the mill. Well, I didn't know this. The word mediocre was literally used first time. It was first used to describe rock climbers or mountain climbers. And it was used to describe mountain climbers or rock climbers who never made it to the top. Now listen to this. This will be worth coming to church for. The word mediocre literally means middle of the rock. In other words, what the word mediocre referred to was, it referred to climbers who started climbing, but they stopped halfway. They didn't finish the climb. They never got to the top and they lost the reward of making it all the way. In other words, what Paul says was, Don't live a mediocre life. Don't do a mediocre job. If you're going to start the climb, finish the climb. 
If you're going from the bottom, make it to the top. The biggest danger, listen, the biggest danger of ministry and serving is discouragement. But the biggest defeat is quitting. It's okay to be discouraged. It's not okay to quit. So Paul simply was saying this. We've heard it before. Winners never what? Quit. And quitters never what? That's exactly right. Winners never quit and quitters never win. Paul says, don't be discouraged. So you're serving in a ministry in our church. You're, 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 you're leading a small group. You're, you're working in our preschool ministry. You're working with kids. And you don't see immediate results. You just don't feel like sometimes I'm really making a difference. Paul says, don't be discouraged. You will be rewarded when you serve. And then he says this last thing. He says, don't be disinterested. You will rejoice where you share. Don't be disinterested. Don't get apathetic. You will rejoice where you share. Now, what, here's what Paul does. He gives us this beautifully gift-wrapped box containing fantastic advice on how to live a life worth living. Then he ties it up with this beautiful bow right at the end. Listen to what he says. Therefore, he said, therefore, what does he mean, therefore? In light of the fact that you're gonna reap what you sow, in light of the fact you will be rewarded when you serve, in light of that fact, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Now, this is so, you gotta hear this last part. The word for opportunity here is, is the Greek word kairos, and it literally means time. He says, therefore, as we have time. Do you know what time is? All time is, it's not minutes and seconds and hours and months and days and years. That's not what time is. You know what time is? It's opportunity. Every second is an opportunity. Every minute is an opportunity. Every hour is an opportunity to do good, to be good, to say the good things, to do the right thing. That's what life is. Everyday life gives us the opportunity today to sow good seeds, to serve other people, to share healing for the hurting and help for the fallen and hope for the depressed. Time is short, opportunity knocks, and every time it does what Paul says, answer the door. Every time you hear that knock of opportunity, answer the door. There's a saying that remains so true. Four things never come back. The spoken word, the spent arrow, time passed, and the neglected opportunity. And what Paul says is this. Every time God puts in your lap an opportunity to do good, take it. Every time God gives you the opportunity to share something with someone that they need, take it. Every time you get the opportunity to serve someone rather than being served, take it. Every time you get the opportunity to do something good, do it and make sure it's good. He said, you will finally have arrived in life when you realize the greatest blessings of life are not when someone does something good for you. The greatest blessings of life are when you get to do something good for somebody else. And I, and I don't like to make myself the heroes of, of this story. And I'm really not. I, it was made possible by somebody else. Let me tell you a story. I don't think I've ever told this before. When I was a boy, uh, I used to hear a mother, and mother would say it quite often. I used to hear my mom say, I wish one day I could go to Hawaii. Uh, my mom and dad, uh, mom was a, uh, we called them back in the day, a beautician, a hairdresser, hairstylist, or whatever you call them. 
Dad was a truck driver, drove a gas truck for a living. And we never made a lot of money. Most money my dad, I think I've told you, ever made is $100 a week. We didn't have a lot. And, uh, you know, so we would actually, uh, we'd raise strawberries and sell strawberries, so we'd go take a vacation. Every, we, one week a year, we'd go down to Florida. We'd stay in a real cheap motel. We'd eat breakfast and lunch in, go eat dinner at night. And, you know, we thought we were living like kings. But, but we, I can remember going to Florida, and, and my mom would say to my dad, you know, I just wish that I could go one day. I wish we'd go to Hawaii. Well, I made a promise. I don't know when it was, but I was just a kid. I made a promise to myself one day that if God would let me, I was going to send my mom and dad to Hawaii. As a matter of fact, I remember my senior year in high school. I graduated that night. I remember my senior year in high school. And I was in my home, and we were talking and, and about you know, how fast time goes, and I was getting ready to go to school. And I don't know why. I just told my mom. I looked at her, and I said, Mom, one day I'm going to send you to Hawaii. So Teresa and I got married, and you know, here I am. I'm going to seminary, and we're, I'm back where my dad and mom first started. We don't have a whole lot trying to make ends meet. And I told her about my promise. I said, you know, one day I want to send mom and dad to Hawaii. And she was very honest. She said, I don't know if we'll ever get able to do that. I said, well, either, but I, I, I hope I can. So I'm pastoring my second church uh, in Kentucky, a little small country church. And my minister of music, we call him back then, he was, he was a layperson. And, and um, you know, he, he could halfway sing. And so if you could halfway sing, you were in. And he, plus he was cheap. We didn't have to pay him. So, you know, you know, God's calling you here. So anyway, so, uh, but he was very successful. He was a very successful businessman. And evidently, he had heard me talk about this. I don't even remember it. So one day, out of the blue, I get a call from this guy. And he said, Pastor, I said, yeah. I said, look, he said, I want to help you send your parents to Hawaii. I said, what? He said, I want to help you send your parents to Hawaii. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, he said, tell you what I'm going to do. He said, "Um, there's a cruise that goes to all the islands. Because mom and daughter said, you know, I'd like to see every one of the islands. He said, there's a cruise that goes to all the islands. He said, I will buy their airfare. And I think they stayed two or three nights in the hotel. And I'll pay for their hotel Will you pay for the cruise? Can you pay for the cruise? And we'd say, man, I said, man, I absolutely can do that. To this day, I'll never forget the look on my mom's face. I'll never forget it. We, were, we went home. And I sat her down. And I said, Mom, I told you one day I'm going to send you to Hawaii. And Mom, you're going to Hawaii. I, 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 to this day, I can see it like it was yesterday, the look on her face. And, and, and I remember the first time I finally got to go to Hawaii with my family. You know how I got to go? Because a very generous person in the church I pastored paid for me and my wife and my family to go to Hawaii. They did that for me. I never asked them. They just did it. And I still remember landing in Hawaii for the first time. I got off the plane. We're staying at the Sheraton at Waikiki. And I go to the Sheraton Hotel. We put our bags down. I go and I look at that beautiful blue water. And the first thing that hit me was the greatest thrill of my life was not being there myself. The greatest thrill of my life was looking out there and realizing, man, my mom got to see that. My mom got to experience that. And see, Paul makes a very interesting point. He says, we're to do good to everybody. But then he adds this phrase, but especially to the family of believers. And that phrase literally says, the household of the faith. Now, do you know what he's talking about? He's talking about the church. What Paul is saying is, listen, all of you listen. He said, you know what? Life is about doing good to all the people that you can but you ought to especially make sure that you do it in the church. You ought to especially make sure you serve the church. See, God has given all of us gifts and abilities, all of us. And I'm going to be, say this very bluntly. If you're not using your gifts 
and your abilities in some way, some fashion to serve this church, to serve the church that you're in, you are living a big part of a wasted life. You should be good to all, but family comes first. The church comes first. Charity begins at home. And being a Christian is more, and being a follower of Jesus, it's more than just being good, it's doing good. So let me just get this out. Being a part of a church is more than just coming to church. It's serving the church, finding a place where you can do some good. So let me just say this. We need people at both campuses to serve in our next generation ministries. We, we need people, more people serving our, our, our preschoolers and our children and our middle schoolers and our teenagers. We need more people serving outside of the church. We need people to get involved in our prison ministry, in our missions ministry, in our connection point ministry, in our homeless ministry. So I'm just gonna say all that to say this. I hope you hear what I'm about to say. It is okay to have hobbies. It's all right to have a boat on a lake. It's all right to have a house on the lake. It's okay to travel and see the world. But this is what Paul would say. So if you don't hear anything else, this will be the, this will be the one you hope you'll, you'll remember. Don't make the hobby of your life the lobby of your life. That's worth coming to church for. Don't make the hobby of your life the lobby of your life. Jesus himself said, I didn't leave heaven and come to earth to be served. I came from heaven to earth to serve. Jesus didn't save you and me to be served. Jesus saved you and me to serve. So don't waste your life. I don't care if you're 20 or 81 years of age. Don't quit serving the Lord. Don't ever quit sowing the seeds of goodness. Don't ever quit serving when and where you can. Don't ever quit sharing what you have that others need. And here's what will happen you will know your life was not wasted when you stand before the one that gave you that life and says to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray together.